Hi, and welcome to the Shipwreck Records podcast from TV, where we sit down with dance music's best and brightest to hear about their lives, music, and the eight records they'd save while shipwrecked in space. I'm Chandler Shortledge, and today we're talking to Kink, the Bulgarian techno and house producer who's taken the world by storm with his animated live shows. And much like those shows, today, his eight selections were chosen almost entirely on the fly. Though improvisation has long been crucial to his live sets, and as many of you may have seen online, he regularly gets the crowd involved, even if sometimes things don't go exactly right. But over the years, Kink has learned to embrace the mistakes, using them to his advantage both on stage and in his stellar productions, which have landed on labels like Cocoon, Running Back, and Digital. Similarly, spontaneity is at the core of his Back to Basics Kirlik project, which involves very basic loops, a mixer, three CDJs, and a drum machine, and shows just how dexterous Kink is on stage. When we spoke, he'd just finished playing the Bergheim floor and said for that alias, the reaction was one of the best yet. Here we speak about that, his recent DJ sets, the influences his hometown of Sofia have had on his music, and what happens when involving the crowd goes completely wrong in this episode of Shipwreck Records. All right, I'm here with uh, Kink in uh, Friedrichshain in Berlin. Um, King just finished up playing his new Kerelik show at uh, Berghain. How you doing? Uh, I'm awake. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. I left home on Friday. Tonight is uh, Sunday, Sunday night already. Uh, so I'm awake, uh, a little bit tired, but very inspired. Tonight was uh, it was quite amazing at Berghain. Uh, I tried something new and. Um, it worked. <laughs> so you played your new um, Kirillik show. Am I pronouncing that right? Kirillik? The, the word is uh, made up. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be Cyrillic, like the alphabet we use in Bulgaria. But uh, it seems that some uh, uh, guys from Macedonia are using the name for, uh, for a couple of years now. So I had to change it. I just swapped the, the letter. So it's just K. The, 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 the word doesn't exist. So I guess Kirillik is the right way to pronounce. All right, nice one. Um, yeah, so how was the reaction of the crowd? There was a reaction, uh, which, is, which is very good. And that was a good reaction. I played, I think that was my third time doing Kirillik in their kind. Uh, it's a new show. I say it's new because uh, I don't do it so much. I'm already doing it for, I think, three years, three or four years, but I do it maybe one or, once or twice, three times per year. So I'm still learning uh, this platform and uh, the first two times I did Berghain was, uh, yeah, it was okay, but uh, I couldn't see any change between me and the other DJs playing. And tonight I really saw uh, excitement uh, in the people. And uh, yeah, it was it was too short. It, it went so fast. I wish I could play longer. Um, you usually play upstairs, right? Yes, always. Yeah. Most of the times. Yeah. So basically, that was my third time, and uh, always when I play downstairs, it's the Kirillik project. Earlier on. I mean, the first time I played uh, the club, it was 2009, and um, I was always curious about downstairs, and I always wondered why uh, I don't play downstairs. And I've, I've, I've spent some time in Berghain, and, uh, but it seems that I've been downstairs for like 40 minutes, then I go up and up and down, and I've never really uh, uh, spent some time to understand what's the, what's the proper vibe downstairs. And since I launched the new project and uh, I did the show, the shows down uh, a couple of times, I realized that uh, I realized why I never play Kink downstairs. Uh, Kink is uh, something very—it's uh, a show which is very extrovert. It's a show. It's quite diverse musically, but as much as it's fun, uh, it's also the focus is on on me, on the artist. And I think downstairs uh, people uh, focus on themselves, on their own journey. And uh, yeah, kink was not appropriate uh, from there. And now I have the right formula to contribute to the people to, to, to be in their own zone without attracting too much attention to myself. Yeah, I think I, you know the first time I walked in there, and I'm sure it's the same for most people. The first time you walk in that floor, I don't even think you can tell where the DJ is. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't provide that platform that you would need for your kink kink show where you're the center of attention. Yeah, and actually, I quite enjoyed being uh, in the shadow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because as much as it's fun to do a show, also there's a lot of pressure. 
and sometimes the, the presence is more important than the music, which shouldn't be. And downstairs, I can just focus on my music and my craft, uh, and that was quite uh, felt nice, felt different. Was Bergheim a place that you knew and aspired to play when you were um, before, like you you came up when you were living in Bulgaria? Yeah, unfortunately, no. I feel very ashamed uh, that I didn't know about the place, but uh, I've never been so obsessed with uh, locations and uh, names. I love the music. I'm not into trends and movements. And uh, I didn't know. Uh, the first time I was booked to play there, I didn't know about the place. Uh, but I should, <laughs> because this uh, it's such a, it's such a, such, a, such a safe place for music and uh, yeah, safe place to be yourself. Did you, and, uh, did you like, between the time you knew your book there and played there, did you like research? Or? Yeah, my friends, my friends told me, wow, you're, you're so stupid, you should know about this place. And of course I did my research. Uh, it put some pressure on me. <laughs> uh, after I realized how important place is, uh, is uh, Bergheim. Nice. Uh, but at the same time, uh, yeah, when I played there, I felt at home. Like Playing for like-minded people was, uh, was quite nice. Um, why don't you tell us about your first track? Yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be interesting. I'm gonna improvise like always. We we, we talked about uh, the topic of uh, tonight. Uh, of course, I didn't really thought about it. So now uh, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, my humble beginnings as a music lover in Bulgaria. There was this dance music radio show in the in the early 90s. I think 1991. I don't remember the name of the radio show, but the the, the disc jockey his name was. Uh, Dancho Rap Yurgiev, if that makes any sense. And he played this track. I don't remember the name of the project, but uh, the guy who stands behind it uh, is uh, Torsten Fenslau. He did a lot of commercial, uh, like Eurodance uh, German projects. And the track uh, is called Die uh, Schwarze Zone. Not sure if I pronounce correctly. And uh, yeah, it's quite commercial uh, techno, Euro techno track, uh, but at that time for my virgin ears, that was quite mind-blowing. And there was this German voice talking about uh, stuff I couldn't understand, but I imagine it was about aliens, and because the sound was, sounds were quite alien, and all these effects. So that's my first track, the Schwarze Zone. Willkommen in der schwarzen Zone. 
schicken dich ins All. Willkommen in der schwarzen Zone. Wir schicken dich ins All. You've compared your music to um, the vibe of your neighborhood, quote, a little bit dangerous, not very comfortable, sometimes disturbing, but it also feels like there's a strain of euphoria running through your music. Do you think that's hope or optimism, maybe? Yeah, uh, my area was not uh, horrible, but uh, but also that was not really bright place. Uh, the 90s, especially the early 90s in Bulgaria, were a bit difficult and uh, I guess that some sort of inspiration uh, not a positive one but it's, it's an inspiration and I guess when you don't have uh, something really bright in your life you, th you look for something bright uh, you look to express yourself in a, in a brighter way uh, and I guess that's, that's, the, that's the answer to it I, w I need more, more light more, more lightness in my, in my life and you got that through music Yeah, I, I think so, yes. Would you say that you're an optimistic person? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think everybody should be, yeah. Are Bulgarians naturally optimistic people? Oh, people are people. We are so, uh, we are so similar. Uh, when I travel around the world and I had these questions like, where, where is your favorite crowd? And <laughs> how are the people in Asia or North America and so on and so on? We are the same, more or less. Um, why don't you tell us about your next track? Yeah, speaking about Euphoria, I'm very, very inspired by the uh, hardcore breakbeat music from, that comes from the UK. It's that combination of rawness and uh, so there's something brutal in this music, but at the same time there is uh, so much happiness and, and excitement. And the next track uh, which uh, brings those feelings to me is uh, by uh, DJ Chrome and Mr. Time, and the track is called This Sound is for the Underground. It's so brutal, but at the same time so, so bright and optimistic. <laughs>
Uh, so back to Bulgaria again. Uh, you've said, quote, life is hard in places like this, and people who grew up there are not entirely happy. But this has contributed to their music. So I can say that Sofia, with all its negative sides, has influenced my work in a positive way. Do you think the idea of suffering for your art or struggling, it's quite romanticized. Do you think it matters? Oh, that's what people say. I still haven't analyzed uh, this uh, for myself, but uh, basically if you think about the art, if you think about uh, the word drama, it's an uh, it's, uh, area in Greece where a lot of things connected to art have been invented. So there must be something with drama and, and arts. So I haven't thought deeply about it, but uh, there must be a connection. Yeah. Do you try to create drama with your music? Um, I'm really not trying to do it. And uh, nowadays there is this uh, expression, people say you make emotional music. And I'm really not into it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm really not into music which brings uh, sad emotions. But at the same time, a lot of people tell me, uh, wow, your music is so emotional. <laughs> so I guess I I'm not trying to bring drama, but I do it in a way, subconsciously. <laughs> I think it, it's one of those things that uh, if you tap deeply, you know, as an artist into yourself, into your psyche enough, whatever's in there is going to come out. Yeah, it's uh, doing music is, uh, I guess it's a very good way to, instead of visi visiting a psychologist, that's a very good way to, to take out some, some stuff that, that stay very deep inside. Cathartic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Does Sophia still inspire your music? Oh yes, oh yes. Sophia is changing. Uh, my life is changing. Uh, the people around me are uh, growing up and changing. Uh, so there is inspiration. It's a different type of inspiration. Uh, my family is there. I speak my own language. Uh, I gather new, new uh, experiences being around the world. And when I come back home, there are some feelings I have. And uh, yes, Sofia inspires me big time. It still keeps me there. I mean, my, my dream uh, to move to Berlin, uh, I think exists since the early 90s, but I'm still in Sofia. So there must be something in it. Um, why don't you tell us about the, your next track? Uh, my next track, yeah, I don't want to be so retrospective, but it's so difficult because uh, I guess when you are in your, in your teenage years, that's the time you, you're mostly impressed by, by everything. So, including music. So, thinking about my beginnings uh, as, a, as a music fan, first of all, thinking about Sofia. Again, one of the early tracks that, uh, that uh, drove me to, to be part of, the part of the techno scene was uh, a track called uh, Substance Abuse. And the project is called Fuse. Actually, it's Richie Houghton, one of his early stuff. It's released on, uh, on Warp Records. Imagine uh, it's the year 1991 or 1992, Bulgaria. All this music is so obscure. It pretty much doesn't exist over there. And, and you listen to this wild ACD alien thing with, uh, which, with, which sounds so unnatural. <laughs> it blew my mind. I didn't know what substance abuse means at that time. <laughs>
The Kyrillic project, it's, uh, as you said earlier, it, it has its name from, from Cyrillic, which, uh, if anybody's not aware, that's the alphabet used in Bulgaria around a lot of Eastern Europe. And the project is inspired by American DJs using drum machines in the 80s and 90s. Um, I know the Detroit guys had a big influence on you. So it sort of seems like this whole project is in a lot of ways, like a very back to roots thing for you. Uh, yeah, well, as I said before, kink is something for everybody. It's something very extrovert. And uh, with Kirillik, I wanted to do uh, something just for myself. And I looked for a name, which is also uh, very significant only for me. Uh, something that comes from my little country. <laughs> Uh, the American guys. I'm not that good at inventing stuff from scratch yet, <laughs> but I think I have a very good sense of, of uh, good uh, good ideas. And uh, what I normally do is I, I see something nice and I manage to recycle it and make something new out of it. Um, so Jeff Mills is, is a very big inspiration for many of us. And uh, I was always very fascinated by the way he would play records and he would pretty much create new music out of the records. And uh, he would uh, use a very basic uh, records and he would use a drum machine uh, next to them. So I thought I, I really like his approach, but uh, now it's let's say 2018 and uh, the technology is so much improved, why not trying to do it even more basic and even more uh, simple in a way. So instead of playing records, uh, why not um, playing sounds and why not using the DJ equipment uh, more, like a dig more like an instrument. So let's say Jeff and uh, his other colleagues started something and I thought why not developing uh, this expanded DJ approach to uh, to a more obscure territory where, where you just create music with, with standard DJ setup and, uh, and a drum machine. For those who are listening who don't really, haven't really seen the project, can you briefly sort of explain what happens on stage? Oh yeah, of course. I use uh, three record players and one drum machine. So um, uh, the sounds I play from the record players, those are not tracks, but uh, very basic sounds I record with some obscure synthesizers I have in the studio. So let's say record player one is playing a bass line with three notes. <laughs> and then record player two is playing something else, very basic, just two, three notes. No rhythms, just uh, basic melodies and uh, I make all the beats with the drum machine and uh, nothing is synchronized uh, automatically so I have to use my ears beat match like DJs used to do back in the days <laughs> so it's uh, technically that's uh, something very challenging and uh, the only way I am able to do variation is to use the mixer uh, otherwise it's just the same melody over and over again so it's only the same couple of loops the entire show? Uh, well, there are, many, there are many loops. I have this uh, library of probably over 100 uh, loops I did. But the, the content itself is very, very basic. Imagine just a melody with three notes and one, one voice, not even chords, but just uh, one, one note. So uh, if I want to create something, some sort of drama and movement in the track, I have to use what I have, which is pretty much nothing. It's just the equalizer on the mixer, uh, some of the effects which are built in in the mixer I use. So this is it, it's extremely, extremely basic uh, and uh, the techno music is a very good basis, very good platform of, of uh, uh, using, using this uh, limited equipment because uh, when I think of techno music I think of something which is uh, decomposed. There is not so much of a structure. So showing up with those loops I feel very comfortable not having a structure and, and having the crowd not expecting to, to listen to structure with chorus and verse and build up and so on. Is each show different? Do you sort of know what you're getting yourself into before you walk on stage or is it just all on the fly? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not able to make any plan because I have this library of over 100 loops and they are named loop one and two. <laughs> So I don't know, uh, I mean, I, I can pre-listen some of them, but, but I have to be so fast because the content is so basic. I don't have the time to, to, to pre-listen, I just have to play it. So I don't use uh, turntables, I use uh, uh, CDJs, the digital record players. And at least one good thing is the record players can tell me, oh, you already played this loop. 
<laughs> so the only thing I, I, I uh, know is I see the loops I already played and then I just go through the others I haven't played so I just I'm surprised <laughs> while while playing them which is pretty pretty amazing it's a lot of fun it's a little bit of stressy but uh, but also it's it's nice to be surprised um, why don't you tell us about your next track oh yeah we, we spoke about Detroit I mentioned Jeff Mills so it's, it's gotta be Jeff uh, wow that's it's gonna be on, very difficult to mention only one track uh, by him. Re reverting, Jeff Mills reverting, that's something that uh, yeah comes to my mind first. Seems like you've been DJing a lot more these days. Uh, you played with uh, Gerd Jansen at Peacock Society. Um, you've been playing some drum and bass sets, which I know you've been playing those for a while, but I've seen a more of those pop up online. Um, what's been behind this decision to, to DJ a bit more? Well, uh, listening to other people's music and dancing to other people's music was my first passion. and. Uh, I've been uh, I've been DJing for quite a long time before I became an international uh, artist. It happened that I became more successful as a life act, but uh, but yeah, being a DJ is a very big part of me. Although I don't do it that much uh, nowadays, so uh, now and then when I when I got asked to to play records, I always say yes because I just love to do it so much. Sometimes. As long as I love to play with my machines and to play my music, sometimes it just uh, becomes a bit boring. You play only your content. Yeah, I love playing other people's records. Um, I know that spontaneity and improvisation are crucial to your live sets. I think you've said uh, they're 50% improvised. Can you achieve that same level of improvisation with, with uh, modern DJ equipment now? Or yeah, I totally believe so. Uh, and uh, yeah, being able now for me to improvise started with the Kyrgyz project. Before that, I was able to beat match. I was able to to 
make a transition from record A to record B. Maybe use a third player, but uh, pretty much I would just play the records and do little effects. And since I started to, to do uh, to play live with, with DJ equipment, I had to improve. I started working uh, closely also with, uh, with the guys from Pioneer, so they helped me a lot to get to know the technology uh, better. So now I feel very free and I can, I can tell uh, the, the, the CDJs are my instrument. So even when I play other people's records, I feel free. I feel like I'm doing a live version. <laughs> it doesn't always work amazingly, but yeah, I like to take risks and people are very patient with me. <laughs> What's it like playing with other people? I mean, you know, I think DJs these, these days, back-to-backs are, you know, really popular, but obviously live acts rarely play with other people. What's that been like? Well, DJing back-to-back for me right now is amazing because I, uh, I don't have that much time to, to dig for music. I tour live mostly. I'm playing in the weekends. During the week I produce and I'm troubleshooting uh, problems with the live setup that I have during the weekend. So there is a, there are long periods of time, like months, I'm not really looking for new music. And uh, if I have to DJ solo, sometimes I'm prepared, sometimes I'm not. But when I play with other people, I'm very happy if my partner is the leader and I'm just following. But playing back-to-back live, that's also a new thing for me. I did it only very few times and I was very lucky to have amazing partners. Uh, the first time I did it was uh, this year with Henrik Schwarz. Yeah, we're supposed to discuss it. We had one or two phone calls, but we haven't really discussed anything and we just met on stage. We had one hour sound check and after half an hour we were like, wow, we already have something going on. So the, the way we did it, uh, we decided we're not going to synchronize our systems. We both use computers for the live act, and uh, we thought it's much more stable if we don't link our systems, so we mix. We literally do it like a DJ set, so we beat match, but we use computers, not, uh, not uh, record players. Yeah, it worked out uh, amazingly, and we did it one more time with Hendrik, and that second time my computer crashed, and I was so happy that our systems were not linked. So the whole system didn't crash, and uh, Henrik was able to continue. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much the same like uh, if you DJ. Uh, somebody drops a ball, sometimes it's a curveball, <laughs> then you have to respond. And just now, uh, was, it, yeah, was it two weeks ago, Amsterdam Dance Event, I did again uh, an improvised set with, uh, with uh, Frank from Am. Same story. Uh, we're supposed to discuss it, but we even haven't talked on the phone. I remember there was one day before the show, I tried to call him, uh, he was in a meeting, then he tried to call me back, I was in the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we met on stage, he was already uh, jamming, I was still connecting my stuff, and meanwhile he had a beat. I just tried one synthesizer to see if the mixer is working and then we already had a good loop and we were like, okay, we're sorted. It was a great show. I feel like, you know, especially at, at your level, responding to curveballs might even be easier than a DJ because you can just play whatever you want, really. Yeah, totally. Uh, the difficulty is to avoid any technical problems. Uh, so that's the real curveball. Yeah. Is, if everything is working, it's quite, uh, quite easy. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us about your next track? My next uh, track, we mentioned my passion, passion uh, for, for jungle, drum-based music. Ah, I don't know why I'm always coming with, with heavier, heavier stuff. But what it comes to my mind is uh, this guy called Remark. And the track is called uh, Drum and Bass Wise. I think Remark is, uh, one of, was one of the... Uh, he, I don't think he makes music anymore. So at that time, in the mid-90s, I think he was the craziest guy in terms of chopping beats. And yeah, Remark Drum and Bass Wise, quite important tune for me. Well, here it comes, Drum and Bass Wise, and otherwise not to realize a strictly rhythm wise. Well, here it comes, Drum and Bass Wise, and otherwise not to realize a strictly rhythm wise. Realize a strictly rhythm wise. Well, here it comes, German bass wise, and otherwise got to realize a strictly rhythm wise. 
interaction with your fans is uh it's a bit different than a lot of other artists i see especially on social media uh you you seem to really like bringing them behind the scenes with your gear your production on instagram and youtube um getting them involved in your creative process uh what's behind this um it's been a journey for me to to uh become relaxed uh, with the people I mean I've always been relaxed on stage I always felt like the people are on my side but uh, in the beginning I just wanted to play records I didn't real I didn't thought it's important to, to make a connection with the people for me the music was uh, the main thing uh, but suddenly I started to travel and uh, my music didn't always worked with the crowd and I had to make a choice either I should change the music I play or I should find a way to reach the people uh, and uh, I think about nine years ago I was uh, playing with my friend uh, Mark Romboy from Systematic uh, Records and uh, he was DJing he had this uh, computer setup and he had this uh, strange controller called uh, Fader Fox a really early version which actually allowed you to to have a wireless connection with the computer so mark is a very tall guy and he had this controller up in the air in his hand and he was modifying some effect some delay or something and uh, he was he definitely attracted some attention uh, but he was not just posing he was actually playing and i thought wow that's a very good way to interact with the people while you're actually playing you're not posing you actually do something and that quite that inspired me to try to do something like this and that's my, my solution to the problem. Sometimes I want to play difficult music and I know it's not going to work. But if I translate my, my, my sounds to the people uh, physically and visually, it's easier to get their attention. And I know you, you sort of alluded to this and you mentioned that you used to be more of a shy guy, more of an introvert. Yes. Is, is bringing people into sort of kinks world, the creative process, is that the easiest way for you to connect with your fans when you're not on stage as well? Uh, for me, it's very important to have a creative exchange. It's very important to, to uh, share ideas and to let them go because if, if you keep your secrets, you just repeat yourself over and over again. And uh, yeah, it's, it, for me, it's fun to, to, to talk to like-minded people. So I, I just enjoy it. But also uh, the, the, the creative part is just letting some ideas go so I can come up with new stuff. And I guess that's one of the reasons I'm quite happy to share information and ideas. Um, you you talked about um, the the story with Mark Romboy, and I know I know he inspired you to to get more ex extroverted on stage. Obviously, that's turned into in the last couple of years you letting fans play your controllers. We've seen some amazing YouTube clips pop up um, with people playing like you know surprising you. It looks like, but it, has it ever gone completely wrong? Uh, many times, of course. Some of them are documented. I had this now legendary boiler room set in Moscow and I had this uh, controller which looks like a chessmate board. And uh, the way it works is if you press a button a little bit higher, the controller would generate higher tone. If you press lower, it would generate lower tone. 
And I invited this random guy to press the buttons and he was just pumping the same button all over again. And uh, I, I think uh, he was so high, I think in his head uh, the, the sounds were changing. <laughs> but in reality they were not. <laughs> so that was, that was a fun moment. It was embarrassing but fun at the same time. And uh, yeah, uh, it's important to, to have uh, a show without problems but at the same time uh, I'm I'm serious in the studio, but when I dance, when I go out, it's all about having fun and uh, forgetting about your problems. So having a little mistake like this, it's, it brings something actually fun and good to it. Yeah, and I feel like um, electronic music is, is serious business in some respects. We all take it seriously, but especially with your show and getting the crowd involved, perhaps it just loosens things up a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and talking about that, recently I had a chance to meet uh, the first and only techno by band, boy band, uh, Fiak. <laughs> Not sure if I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> so these guys are, are fun. And uh, I didn't know what to expect because you see all these uh, pictures, fun pictures they put online and, and the way they talk. They're fun. They're, they're the techno boy band. And, and then we met, uh, we played together in a festival in Portugal. We met for dinner and I found they, they are actually so well educated. Uh, technically and actually they're so serious about what they're doing and uh, was, uh, yeah sometimes uh, uh, things can be can look very not so serious and too light on the surface but but there is uh, also very deep background and I quite like that yeah um, why don't you tell us about your next track yeah uh, talking about boy bands another really good boy band Paranoid London <laughs> and the track they did with Paris uh, Brightledge is called uh, Immortality my next track but it's immortality And you cannot buy it You can't put it in your pocketbook You can't put it in your BCI Don't try and shape it It's immortality It's immortality
about uh, wanting to mentor younger generations once you slow down from touring. But um, is there anyone you're you're helping out right now? I, I've seen you jam with somebody called Rare Dub. Is that oh, yeah. somebody you're you're kind of mentoring? Oh yeah, we are having this joke. We're calling ourselves uh, Paranoid Sofia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are we are obviously both very big fans of Acid House and then uh, the Paranoid London guys. And uh, yeah, Peter is a very young guy uh, from Sofia, and he's quite an interesting phenomenon. Um, Normally, uh, so he's he's amazing DJ, but also very good life act. And what is really strange about him is uh, he's very new to production. He uh, he's very good at nailing baseline life. He's very good at doing doing beats. He have this uh, when he makes his music. He have this hook in his music, which for me is very important. His music is not faceless, like a lot of the techno and house. Uh, but he st still doesn't know how much uh, he doesn't know that much about polishing the sound. Uh, I'm quite amazed because normally you have a producer with long experience, then this producer uh, finds the, the platform of playing live. With Peter, is totally the opposite. He started to play live, and now he's learning how to produce. Uh, he's progressing very fast, and I, I think he have a very very bright future. So I, I, I'll try to capture him before before he become a superstar. <laughs> I suppose if you already knew the live equipment first before you producing, I mean, that must give you a huge step up. Yeah, nowadays uh, we, live, we live in a really interesting time. Uh, the equipment becomes more and more affordable and um, the companies are talking to the artists. Uh, basically, back in the days when uh, the pioneers used uh, certain gear, that gear was not made for, for stage. And the artists, uh, the artists had to figure out how to actually use it and how to how to play with it. Nowadays, luckily, a lot of companies they try to listen to the artists, and we have equipment which is uh, affordable, more compact, and more stable. So I'm not surprised that that I see people who doesn't know that much about production, but they already produce, and that's pretty amazing because when you know too much you can be restricted by the rules and sometimes it's just fresher when you don't know anything about anything and you just go for it yeah that was uh how you sort of first got your first steps into production right you were didn't know the rules yeah that was uh that was in the late 90s my studio partner my current studio partner the guy we shared the, the space with his name is Constantin. he showed me how to not how to produce really he just uh, gave me some uh, some software he gave me some instructions with help, with some help by him, but more or less I had to figure out uh, things on my own. I had no access to the internet. Constantin also didn't know that much about producing. He, he, he was good with computers. We were, he was able to set up uh, the system, but we both didn't know much about uh, sound design. So we had to figure out by pressing virtual buttons and listening to the results. And uh, that was quite amazing because it, uh, uh, this process helped me to start uh, thinking. I, I just said how important, how, how great it is nowadays you have all this equipment which is dedicated for, for, for live performance, uh, dedicated to making house and techno, but that's also bad because you don't have that much room to be free. Uh, you, you buy a software or hardware and then you get the manual and, and uh, everything you should know is explained in the manual. Back then we haven't got manuals. We were just, you know, experiment and we would have a lot of limitations and we would try to figure out how to escape the limitations ourselves. And now um, it's a bit easier to, to get a good result, uh, but at the same time you become a bit lazy. I guess, yeah, I guess um, that's interesting. I guess if you, if a machine is designed to help you play one genre, in this case, you know, house or techno, it's sort of designing a lane for you. You know, you've got, you've got these virtual bumpers on either side of you and everything is telling you to go in one direction you're less likely to veer off that veer off the road yeah totally you don't question you don't question your production process and you just sometimes repeat yourself uh, again and again because you don't have a reason to to explore you everything is in front of you and uh, back then when i was learning how to make music one of the difficulties i had was how to add certain swing certain movements in my beats because this software i was using it had this grid that you couldn't 
switch off and I had to come up with uh, some sort of mathematical formula how much to speed up the tempo of the project and then how to, to, to have more steps per, per, uh, per loop and now uh, you achieve this by turning one knob but back then I, I realized by myself without having uh, without studying music that there is certain metric in music and everything is maths uh, in music more or less so it was it was quite a quite a interesting discovery which helps me now to uh, question things in, in the music yeah 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 i mean i guess you would say you know if you've already got just a knob that will give you that groove you wouldn't you know, question that... actually what this knob is doing yeah 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 exactly exactly when do you think you might slow down from touring is that something you've thought about uh i thought about it and i did it it was maybe Four or five years ago, when I was uh, doing probably probably about 150, almost 200 gigs a year, with with all the after parties uh, of like, unannounced gigs, and uh, there were moments I didn't really enjoy playing. <laughs> and first of all, I started all this because I I, I have uh, love for it, and uh, I was tired all the time. I was not having that much fun, so uh, I thought I have to slow down, and uh, I did. So now um, I'm trying to have a free weekend per month. I don't play much more than two gigs per weekend. Sometimes it's a bit more, the summer is a bit more compressed. But generally I have this rule, I try to have a free, free weekend per month. And uh, for third year, I'm taking almost four years off in the beginning of the year. So I already did it. And I think now I have a good balance. And from now on, yeah, I, I love playing, so I don't want to stop soon. I would love to do it as long as possible, but yeah, I, I slow down already and I think I have a good balance. Nice. Um, why don't you tell us about your next track? Uh, talking about uh, funkiness and groove and shuffle and uh, uneven uh, rhythms, at that time when I was trying to figure out how to do those beats, DJ Sneak was my... my uh, very big inspiration and it's wow it's also very difficult to mention only one track by him but i guess the first one that comes to my mind is you can't hide from your butt on on the classic
last question. You're shipwrecked in space. You're lost forever. You've got food. You've got water. What three things do you take with you to stay sane? Pick a book, one piece of studio gear, one of the tracks you've mentioned. Uh, actually quite easy. Uh, take a laptop. Uh, can we have the software as part of the laptop? The software part? comes on the laptop. All right, so a, a laptop with, uh, with a software called MaxMSP. Uh, I'm going to look very stupid now, but uh, the book is going to be a manual for, for Max MSP. <laughs> <laughs> Got to know how to use it. <laughs> and what's going to be... So what was the third thing? <laughs> uh, you get one, You get to pick one of the tracks that, one of you've, the tracks. that you've mentioned today. But can I have another one? I have to pick one of them. Just one. Oh, my God. Uh, hmm. I guess... Uh, uh, Chrome and Time. Uh, this, this sound is for the underground because it's quite optimistic track. It's gonna keep me happy for a long time. <laughs> nice, nice. And then, uh, what's your final track? Uh, my final track is uh, gonna be by uh, a project I love, uh, uh, Future Sound of London, and the track is called Papua New Guinea.